Welcome to Big Time Dicks, the show where we take a closer look at the laws and lawmakers fucking up your life. I'm Kelly Stout, Features Editor Jezebel. Prachi and Joanna are out this week, so joining us are Jezebel staff writer Ellie Sheckett and senior reporter Anna Merlin. Hi. Hello. Hi. Thanks for being here. There's literally nowhere else I would rather be on Earth. So I can happy tell. to see Anna's face. It's been gone for some time. I Anna's died. been writing a book about conspiracy theories. Pick it up <laughs> at bookstores later. <laughs> at some point. <laughs> Once she's <laughs> done. At point later. <laughs> just keep that in mind, everyone. Yeah, just <laughs> store that one. So, a lot of dick action this week. Over the weekend, for example, um, Donald Trump, our president called Kim Jong-un short and fat. Kim Jong-un's foreign ministry called the president's trip to Asia a warmonger's visit and described him as a dotard. Never want to walk away from an insult, the president fired back on Twitter. Where else? He says, why would Kim Jong-un insult me by calling me old? When I would never call him short and fat. I try so hard to be his friend and maybe someday that will happen. Later, pressed whether that's realistic. I think anything's a possibility. Strange things happen in life. That might be a strange thing to happen. Pretty rude. I'm so glad that he has 280 characters because if we die, I don't want to die for a tweet where there was any lack of clarity yeah, about sure. the situation. I want him to have enough room to do what he needs to do. This it's it's yeah. true. Like if you stopped this tweet at, oh, well, <laughs> actually, it's pretty much the It same. would be a better tweet. There's the, It oh, would well. be a better tweet. Or if you stopped it at short and fat, it would be a better tweet. Um... It's amazing to me that the president is 71, 71 years old. I believe so. Imagine. 100, (laughs) three years old. Imagine tweeting that. It's uncanny how we were just talking about this, how he really sounds like deeply like a real housewife in this tweet. He definitely sounds like a pretty strong mix between... Ramona Singer of the New York City don't, Real Housewives. Don't, just don't, Bethany. Have more respect for me. Have more respect and more sympathy. Um, and Sonia Morgan of the New York Housewives. What comes out of my mouth, you can f- sell it. I don't bullsh- And some other inanimate object, a brick, perhaps. I feel just like just a combo of the three of those things. I feel like this is his attempt at shade. Yeah. Like this is his trying to like enact a subtle burn on his political opponent. I try so hard to be his friend. (laughs) Yeah, it's, you know, like, I would never say that he's short and fat, even though he is short and fat. Like, it's, you know, it seems like he was probably... Although it's so abundantly obvious that he's short and fat, I would never say it because I'm the bigger person Well, it's like a 13-year-old trying out being mean when she's, like, not sure which direction her personality is going to go in yet. (laughs) This is like a test, a test burn Mm -hmm. by a 13-year-old is trying to be a cool girl. <laughs> I think it's really interesting <laughs> to be governed by someone where there's obviously something wrong with his brain. And yeah, I, I sure. think we'll look back it on this and really see it as like an important... If we know. don't die. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really the big the big picture <laughs> that we're looking <laughs> at with this tweet. tweet. <laughs> I love this tweet because it really is such a distraction from the fact that he tweeted this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. it is both the problem and the solution in one. Sure. It is. Which is the case with so many <laughs> of Trump's actions. Love it. Later in the episode, we're going to dive into some real dicks. But first, our weekend weenies. Ellie, what happened this week? So, first of all, I just want to say, we haven't really been paying attention to the fact that Omarosa works in the White House. I don't think we had the emotional bandwidth to deal with it until just now. There's been, like, sort of a spew of stories about her in the White House, and they've all Everyone been Everyone suddenly remembers she works there. Everyone suddenly remembers we have Omarosa in the White House, and she's doing so many amazing things. And by amazing, I mean crazy. Omarosa being the same Omarosa (laughs) from The Apprentice. Omarosa, you not only lost, you got creamed. You know, I've always been a big Omarosa fan, but Omarosa, you're fired. Yep. That's how she's famous. She's famous for pouring wine on Piers Morgan's head. Um, She has been a big, big Trump supporter for like 13 years. She was on The Apprentice. She was a big villain on the, The Apprentice. And she's apparently not... Not not a villain in real life, um, but she so she brought members of her thirty nine person bridal party. That is to the White House too big for a bridal party. Yeah, so this happened back like in the spring. She was married in I, I believe April or May, and she 
brought them to the White House for an extended wedding photo shoot. Apparently, a lot of the security personnel and, and many of the senior staffers in the White House didn't know this was happening. And people have come to the White House to take wedding pictures before. I don't think it's, like, that crazy to do, but you're definitely supposed to, like— okay, but why would you Let everybody that? know. Yeah, I don't know why you would want that. Question. It seems like also, like, particularly these days, the White House just seems like a very dank and stressful place to be <laughs> for all the staffers. I'm sure no—I don't— She's the only person who seems to have a lot of, like, fun with her job. Because she doesn't really 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 have a job. She doesn't really do anything. She's She's just kind of stressed person in the White House. She's, I mean, she's technically the director of communications for the Office of the Public Liaison. But nobody seems to know exactly what she does. So anyway, the first thing that happened, so the first story that came out is that she and her her 39-person bridal party loudly wandered around, that's a quote, around the West Wing and tried to take pictures in the Rose Garden, and that was a thing. And then there was another story about how Mike Dubke, who used to work in the White House, he said that she left her shoes everywhere. And then there's this new article that came out in the Daily Beast. I mean, Wait, the Daily we Beast. we need to go back to the shoes. Okay. Because this was a whole feud. We, you can't just run through run the shoes through the thing. Shoes. Yeah, no, you're right. Because this was a whole feud. And I actually sort of have a dog in this fight. Okay, just tell me about your dog in this fight. <laughs> I feel that it's okay to leave like a fair amount of shoes in the office. I completely disagree. Your wow. home is for your shoes. Okay, however... What about when it rains and then you come to work and you leave your rain boots under the desk and then by the end of the day, it's not raining anymore so you don't want to wear them home? What then, Anna? I think if you have more than two pairs of shoes at work, you are making yourself two at home at work. Like maybe a pair of flats, maybe some rain booties. It doesn't sound like that was the situation. It sounded like Omarosa had multiple pairs of shoes just kicking around the White House because she doesn't have a desk either. She works at like a shared desk. A co-working yeah. space. Right. She doesn't have a space because she doesn't have a real job. So, like, why does she need to transport her entire closet to the White House? Like, can't she just leave it at home? Seems like she should join the wing. It does seem like she should join the wing. <laughs> Good joke. Um, she. So there's a new there's a new Daily Beast report. So she basically did an interview with a Daily Beast reporter. Didn't really tell anybody about it. The Daily Beast reporter, like, <laughs> didn't go through any of the normal channels. And the reporter basically shadowed Omarosa while she was planning her wedding during the work day. So, like, Omarosa didn't actually among us? do any work. It turns out I'm a huge Omarosa apologist. <laughs> I'm like, who among us doesn't have shoes? Who I'm... among us doesn't do some personal calls during the work day? There's I a... mean, I'm tickled by these reports. No, personally. it's really funny. There's an amazing line in this piece where she... The, the reporter talks about Omarosa walking quickly and apparently aimlessly <laughs> the White House, where she's very obviously trying to create the illusion of movement around the White House and just sort of walking this woman around in circles. Yeah, she says, at some point we are looking for a certain Josh, though we don't ever locate him, and I never find out why he's needed. <laughs> it's great. And then she orders grits and sausage from the mess, which, for reasons that remain unclear, we do not pick up but instead sashay along to the next task. <laughs> God bless her. That's so funny. It's crazy. And then, I mean, so she's reportedly not super popular in the Trump White House, which is funny to think about because it's like being the least well-liked gluten-free cracker. <laughs> like, they're all terrible. Well, but, and they all hate uh, each other. Yeah. <laughs> and they're all out for each other. But, I mean, I do think it's a really good illustration of the sort of, like, smash-and-grab model of working in the White House at this administration has pioneered where it's just sort of whatever you can get, whatever you can get away with, however many pairs of shoes you can litter around. Like, it's fine. Yeah, it is fine. It's totally fine. And also inventing tasks to do. Right. Like ordering grits and sausage and then not picking them up. Yeah, I really adore that anecdote. (laughs) Our next weenie of the week, Anna, tell us who you brought. Uh, I, I have more of a concept than a specific weenie. My concept is people who keep interviewing Steve Bannon, um, who no longer works in the White House. Uh, Steve Bannon has gone back to being the chair of Breitbart News. And so the New York Times this week decided that this was a good week to interview him. Jeremy Peters had a long sit down with Steve Bannon where he was allowed to say any number of things that are not true. Um, Was Jeremy Peters even there? Like, uh, it was like he wasn't even there. Yeah, it was sort of a sort of an empty chair interview, only the empty chair was where the reporter's supposed to sit. Um, so Steve Bannon was allowed to say things like uh, that Ed Gillespie didn't win in Virginia because he didn't really, you know, follow the Trump model. Gillespie's not a guy that particularly, you know, excites me. 
He's an establishment guy. He's kind of a swamp creature. Which you know, is ridiculous. A Donald Trump uh, was stumping for him really hard. Um, he was allowed, Steve Bannon was allowed to say that it's nonsense that white nationalists are particularly enamored of Trump. I think it's, I think it's nonsense. I think it's nonsense. I think you don't think a, he appeals to them at all? I think these guys grab onto anything they can. No, the, the message is one of, this is the guy's the least racist guy I've ever met. And nothing in the campaign and nothing that he's done to date. That, that's all, that's all left wing. That's MSNBC. Nonsense. It went on and on and on. And the question is, he like, also said it was like a media invention. Right. That white nationalists have come out of the woodwork and feel so confident expressing their viewpoint because of Trump. Right. Uh, there was, was a lot of stuff about, yeah, there's a lot of stuff about how, you know, Bannon is at the head of this populist movement when in fact what Bannon is at the head of is a nationalist movement that is explicitly based in being anti-immigrant. There was, it was really strange. It was a really, really generous gentle sort of sponge bath of an interview <laughs> and it was hard to determine what the point was right like Steve Bannon doesn't have any discernible sort of I mean he probably has influence on public policy now as much as anybody does in that he influences what Trump does but I don't understand asking him questions and not challenging him when the answers are not true. Well, he just he it seems to be more about create sort of creating and polishing his own myth. Like he wasn't really elucidating anything. Right. And he also he sort of figured out that if he makes himself available as a source to reporters who are always looking for sources and are always looking for quotes, he can use that to his advantage. So he's always if you look at these stories in like Politico and the New York Times and like the Daily Beat, like all of these places He'll chime in on any story. That allows him to just sort of insert himself into the narrative of what's happening right now and to sort of build up this idea that he's this mastermind, which I'm not convinced that he is. Right. Yeah, I mean, the New York Times thing was right in the middle of the homepage. Right. It was just like, it wasn't just the interview itself. Then there was like another page that was like, big takeaways from our interview with Steve Bannon. Yeah, it's very yeah. strange to treat it like it's a big scoop when it's like Steve Bannon has nothing to do. Like he's he available 24 7. Either. He was just yeah. kind of like, like me on this podcast. He was just kind of blithering. <laughs> that is not true. You have so much more to offer the world than Steve Bannon. Um, I'm also fascinated by me. the fact that Steve Bannon um, wants to paint everything as part of this grand populist takeover, including losing absolutely everything in Virginia, which, yeah. again, would have been a good place for a question. Uh, it is hilarious, however, that he refers to Trump's election as MAGA Day and a high holy day. November 8th of 2016 is just one moment in time. You know, we celebrated today in the Trump movement as MAGA Day, right? A, a high holy day. I'm actually going to say, though, that the Politico story that he was part of this week I thought was better, which is essentially about what everyone who's been fired from the Trump White House is now doing. And it seems mostly designed to talk about the fact that a lot of these people, you know, were part of creating this huge amount of chaos and now have gone on to either kick back and play golf if you're Reince Priebus or enrich yourself. Yeah. Or on a diet. Right. They're it's all on Steve Bannon's. Steve Bannon's on a diet. It also, I thought the Politico thing was good because it illuminates something about Steve Bannon, which is that he is genuinely kind of delusional. He travels with... A security team now, as though anyone could possibly care enough to <laughs> do anything that would make him need a security team. Um, he security won't, theater. Security theater. He won't fly commercial anymore. He's sort of creating this weird mythology around himself when, as Ellie says, I'm not convinced that he's the leader of anything. The only remaining question I have for Steve Bannon is where his money comes from. That's the Mercers. Yeah. I mean, they're his patrons. They're his. They're his. Is parents. he still getting that Seinfeld money? How much? Yeah, Seinfeld he does money still he get really that Seinfeld getting? money. I don't know, but he's had such a weird life. Also, he's just such a weird character. The like Biosphere Two thing in the bathtub with the like the, the like the acid. That was the acid I think he's very influenced by. Like I think he feels that he's got a fan base he has to court. Mm -hmm. Which like, is, why else would he be doing this? Again, very strange. Just I, to sort of like create the illusion that he's an important guy. Yeah, I I have never heard anyone it's talk very about behavior, right? If you will, it is. I've never heard anyone talk about Steve Bannon. I've never heard anyone who is even a Trump fan who's a fan of Steve Bannon. Like it's just I don't understand. I hate to talk about the media as like a single entity. I feel like that construction is so tired. But I do think that a mistake is being made, a similar mistake is being made with Steve Bannon as what happened with Trump, where he's very available 
to be covered. So he's getting a lot of coverage. And I don't believe in not covering somebody because it has like political consequences or whatever. But he just doesn't often have anything useful to say. I mean, sometimes he does. But usually we don't need to hear from Steve Bannon. I think that's a really good point. And you also make a good point about his Mercer funding. There was just a Guardian story about how the Mercer Foundation uh, between 2013 and 2015 gave $4.7 million to Bannon's Government Accountability Institute. And that institute hasn't yet filed their tax filings for last year. They're five months overdue. So Bannon is actually seemingly perhaps going out of his way to create some confusion about how much (laughs) continued funding he's getting from the Mercers while at the same time talking on and on and on about MAGA Day and his populist (laughs) movement. Uh, Yeah, I mean, he's he's like he is an elitist millionaire. It's right. He's a Hollywood guy. (laughs) But it's also like it's a diversionary tactic, right? Because when you say just ridiculously untrue things about how, you know, white nationalists haven't come out of the woodwork, you know, you're giving people that to fight over rather than us talking about you what's know, actually happening. Right. These two secretive, bizarre billionaires who are funding a good chunk of the Republican Party. It's time to talk about our more central dicks, the dicks we came here to discuss. The first of which is Alabama Senate candidate Roy Moore. Roy Moore. Roy Moore. He was in the news a lot last week because he, uh, there are a bunch of accusations, the first of which was from a woman named Lee Korfman, who told the Washington Post about her uh, experience as a teenager when Roy Moore came on to her uh, while she was waiting outside of the courthouse for her mother to attend a child custody hearing, which is pretty much the darkest story I think I've ever heard. When Lee was 14. He he took her out on, I, I guess you could call it a date. I don't know that a man in his 30s can take a 14-year-old out on a date. I think you cannot. He got her phone number and subsequently picked her up around the corner from her house, drove her about 30 minutes away to his home in the woods, um, twice did that. The first time um, there was kissing, and then the second time um, he took off her clothes, he took off his own clothes, he touched her over her bra and underwear and uh, guided her hand to touch him over his underwear. Terrible story. Roy Moore came out and said, I don't know Miss Corpman from anybody. I've never talked to her, never had any contact with her. Allegations of sexual misconduct with her are completely false. I believe they're politically motivated. I believe they're brought only to stop a very successful campaign, and that's what they're doing. By now, a total of four women have come out saying that they had similar experiences. Um, He has dismissed some of these claims. He also said that he never dated any women who were teenagers, any girls, without the permission of their mothers. Um, Which is always some weird shit. Yeah, no, that's always (laughs) a good good disclaimer. Um, But so because he hasn't denied dating teenagers, he's just denied sexually assaulting a 14-year-old. We're seeing this whole wing of the Republican Party that wants to hold on to Alabama uh, making some really creative arguments for why grown men dating teenage girls is actually fine, which I guess is I probably should have seen coming, but I'm a little surprised. Yeah, we're hearing a lot of fun biblical arguments from the Alabama Republican Party. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there was one talking about how uh, Mary and Joseph, like Mary was a teenager, like seeming to sort of gloss over the fact that she was a virgin. That was the whole point right. of the story. In, in fact, central. <laughs> in fact, to central the- <laughs> to the story. And then somebody else called him Jesus on a cross. So we'd really like hit all those numbers. He's also, this is like right up Roy Moore's alley. He was called the Ten Commandments judge because he got in trouble for having like a carving of the Ten Commandments up in his courtroom, so this which is, you're not really supposed to do. Right. No, someone, <laughs> a Republican, and I forget who, made the point that even before this came out, Roy Moore was unfit 
for this office. So this time last year, or in September of last year, Roy Moore was permanently suspended for the rest of his term as Alabama Chief Justice because he was illegally instructing court clerks in Alabama to ignore the federal gay marriage ruling. There's one federal judge has come in and tried to force upon this state something which she cannot do. Her opinion is not law. Your Honor, what this comes down to is you didn't have to do this. You've created a basis to do it, but you didn't have to do it. I had to, to do, do this. this. You had well, to do it because it matters it's, to you personally. I, this is no, just like the Ten Commandments situation. Yes. So this is the second time that he's gotten in trouble for imposing his religious beliefs on the civil court system. The first time was, yeah, he had a Ten Commandments uh, statue illegally installed in the courthouse in the middle of the night. Yeah, in the middle of the night. And of course, he didn't tell anyone about it except for a Christian TV network because he wanted them to film it. So that was the first time he was suspended. The second time was based on this gay marriage ruling. And in between, he sought to take custody away from a lesbian mother solely because she was a lesbian. Um, and, and this was when he was chief justice right. of the Alabama Supreme Court. Right. And so he had a whole list of outrageous things even before, you know, child sexual abuse he's allegations. Also, yeah, he said that, like, gay people don't have any rights, including, like, the right to be alive. Right. I mean, he's argued that they're against the laws of nature. He is more lax on drug offenses, which might have something to do with the fact that his son has been arrested, like, nine times, um, including frequently on drug-related charges. Just who can say? Just speculating. (laughs) Who can can say? And now there have been some polls um, of Alabamans. Recently, 29% of polled Alabamans say they're more likely to vote for more after the Washington Post allegations because not necessarily because they support child molesters, but because there's so little trust in the Washington Post and in women. There's this idea that People are making it up to hurt Roy Moore because he's, how could Roy Moore, the guy who never seems to follow the law, do something bad? <laughs> he's calling it this conspiracy between the DNC and the liberal media. Uh, he's promising to sue the Washington Post. And Breitbart has dispatched two reporters to Alabama with the express purpose of trying to discredit his accusers. That's And his great, accusers yeah. didn't come out of the woodwork for this very reason. Right. Korfman thought about telling her story back in 2000 um, when he was running for state Supreme Court, but she was afraid to because she's got three kids and she also is three times divorced and has, as she put it, a messy financial history. And so she she didn't do it for this very reason um, because women know that Men try to discredit us when we claim that they've done something terrible. Now he's being applauded by voters in Alabama for doing this. And his talking point about the media being a conspiracy plays right into this. It's completely transparent and enraging. Yeah, so more on that when Roy Moore inevitably wins anyway. (laughs) But we actually, while we were recording this segment, we just got an email that Gloria Allred, who is a famed uh, women's rights attorney, plans to hold a press conference today in New York with a new accuser who says that Roy Moore sexually assaulted her as a minor. So this is going to keep happening probably right up until Election Day. Which is December 12th. Yes, and then he'll win anyway. if you live in Alabama, vote that day, please. Right. Moore is running against Doug Jones, who's an attorney who prosecuted two of the people responsible for the 1963 Birmingham church bombing. So he's running against like a pretty stand-up guy, but because our political system is so polarized, you're seeing people say like, well, anything is better than a Democrat. Like, even if... Well, Ellie, they're conspiring (laughs) to get Roy Moore. I mean, they're so crooked. I yeah, mean, but I think that e- I think that even some people who believe the allegations are are still like I'd rather yeah. have a Republican. I mean, this hardly needs saying, but the reason why this has become a national fight is because it could tip the balance of the Senate if Republicans lose Alabama and they don't want to do that and they want to be able to pass the tax plan and whatever other horrible ideas they have. Maintaining control of Alabama is crucial to that. We should touch on how the Senate Republicans are dealing with this because I think they do understand that Roy Moore would not be super helpful to have in in the Senate. He would not be on their team necessarily. He's very anti-Mitch McConnell. And Mitch McConnell really invested a lot of money in um, Luther Strange during the Republican primary. So 
they sort of have taken a hands-off approach. They, the Republican Senatorial Committee has sort of pulled funds from Roy Moore's campaign, and a lot of Senate Republicans are saying, if this is true, it's terrible, and he shouldn't, he shouldn't be a senator. But, like, they're leaving room for it to not be true, and there's no way to prove it's true more than it already has been proven. It is kind of genius <laughs> of them to do that because it allows them to, like— Wriggle out, yeah. Yeah, kind of like put a little bit of distance between them. It like reads differently to people on both sides. I mean, it's the same thing that happened in the lead up to the presidential election when they thought that Trump was going to lose, but they weren't necessarily sure. All these sexual assault allegations were coming out. Paul Ryan just kind of said, "Eh, it's every man for himself. Um, And so, you know, if Roy Moore wins, they'll pretend like that was their plan all along. If he doesn't, you know, they'll say nothing about it. Uh, It's, I don't know. I mean, this is what you do when you have, you know, unhinged, unpredictable candidates who, as Ellie says, are not going to work with your legislative agenda anyway. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I kind of do wonder what they want to happen. I don't think they know. I feel like Roy Moore would have a lot of props. If he became a senator, you know what I mean? Like he would always, ones? like he would bring stuff on. Right, the floor. like he became ha- like famous he for a poster waving a gun around. He would definitely his like campaign rally, brandish a Bible, right, or like sure. a tiny miniature horse because you can't ride a horse <laughs> into the Senate chambers. Like I don't know. I feel like uh, I feel like he would have props. Yeah, bring for back sure. His Ten Commandments thing that he whittled. <laughs> he would secretly install a Ten Commandments <laughs> monument in the Senate, as is his wand everywhere he goes. I'm secretly. sorry. The idea of secretly installing a <laughs> monument is so funny. It is. Really, fun. It it's is, like, is that really what you want to do with your time and your energy? Ellie, the answer is yes. yes. That is what he chose. <laughs> the amazing thing about that Ten Commandments monument and also one in, I believe, Oklahoma, is that both of them were eventually moved to private property after like extended legal battles, and both of them were actually destroyed by the same man. Um, there are two Ten Commandments monuments what? in two different states that were destroyed by the same guy driving his car into them. <laughs> On purpose? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Freedom! Hello, this is Michael Reed, and uh, I'm a firm believer that part of salvation is that we not only have faith in Jesus Christ, but we obey the commands of God, and um, that we confess Jesus as Lord. But one thing I do not support is the violation of our constitutional right to have the freedom that's guaranteed us, um, that guarantees us separation of church and state. What a cool man. What happened to him? <laughs> uh, I don't Let's know. Let's get on the podcast next I, I, don't, I don't rightly know, but the idea that the, he made his mission. <laughs> I'm sorry. To drive uh, his car into Ten Commandments monuments is just... That's good. You got to find your purpose. You do. I found it. You yeah. know? I think that's great. That's a lot <laughs> We have something nice we get to talk about this week. That's so rare. So rare. Last week's Tuesday election returns came back and it was like, holy shit, the Democrats are really like there was a big blue wave in Virginia in particular, but all over the country, like Democrats sort of came out in droves. And I don't know, I like didn't know what to do with the feeling in my body when this was happening. I hadn't been like obsessively reading the news for a a positive reason Mm. in so long. Yeah. Well, it was also interesting, too, because all the pundits, all the national pundits, people like the always right Chris Saliza, were predicting that it was going to be a Democrat bloodbath. And so they didn't know what to do. No one knew what to do. It was this crazy, unexpected avalanche of good news. I know. It was great. And also a lot of the victories were um, like local elections or mayoral elections. There were Um, multiple trans women elected. So great. And. There's so much disingenuous talk about being outsider candidates. Mm. And actually, it's in like mayoral elections and city council elections where actual outsiders run and win. Yeah. And it was such a pleasure to watch that happen. Steve Bannon would tell you that, you know, this is all part of the vast populist wave. I believe he tried to make that argument, but also argued that losing in Virginia was no big deal. It's, you know, again, don't don't interview Steve Bannon. Yeah. So Ralph Northam won the Virginia gubernatorial election by like an unexpectedly wide margin. There was he was sort of running a bad campaign at the end. There was his opponent was sort of trying to turn the race into this very like really ugly sort of um, conversation about 
racism, basically. It became, like, about sanctuary cities and da-da-da-da. And Ralph Northam is this kind of centrist guy who's very— Terry McAuliffe's lieutenant governor currently. So he's he is like an establishment figure, quote, quote. And he wasn't doing so hot in the polls. Everyone was like, holy shit, like this guy's going to lose Virginia. It's going to be terrible. Then he won by a lot. And some of the good things about this are that in 2020, there's obviously a huge gerrymandering problem um, in this country. And now there's a Virginia governor who is not going to do a horrible gerrymander in 2020. There was also Gillespie, his opponent, was sort of known for his feelings about voting rights, meaning that people should have less of them. <laughs> and so that's also good. So yeah, and, and it's also... And his lieutenant governor also... His lieutenant governor. Is the first black candidate to win statewide office since 1989. I know, and... And also a progressive won a tight race for state attorney general. Justin Fairfax. Democrats grabbed at least 15 seats in Virginia's House of Delegates, which is a huge number, an unexpectedly big number. Eleven of those 15 were picked up by women candidates. The first two Latinas elected to the Virginia House, the first Asian-American woman elected to the Virginia House, Danica Rome, the first openly transgender person elected to the Virginia legislature, who beat a, a quote, proud homophobe, uh, who referred to her throughout the campaign using male pronouns. And refused to debate her. Yeah. And but, also is one of the architects of the bathroom bill. Right. Yeah. And in New Jersey, hmm. Chris Christie will be replaced by a Democrat which means that they're going to probably legalize marijuana in New Jersey, which would be pretty cool. It's a great idea. It's the really... (laughs) Haven't the people of New Jersey had to deal with enough (laughs) without without having access to weed? I keep saying this, but it's incredible to me that Chris Christie has been governor this entire time. It is incredible. It's blowing my mind. much from him, have we? No, because he wasn't doing his job. I mean, after he was caught sitting on a closed beach with like 900 of his family members. That was an incredible photograph. (laughs) I mean, it didn't matter. His approval rating was so low. He's never going to... He's never going to run for office again. There's no fucking way. So basically, he's going to become a shock jock. Like, there is no career path for him other than, like, radio shouter. You know, he's going to become, like, a more, uh, you know, Springsteen-loving version of Rush Limbaugh. There's nothing else that he can do with himself. Maybe the New York Times will interview him. Yeah, about his <laughs> vast populist movement. On his way to getting trounced in the polls, or after he voted, uh, Chris Christie also managed to get into an argument with a voter. It's, an inc- it's a good video. No, I know, because that's too hard. It's no, easier It's easier to sit here. It's easier to sit here and complain. It's easy. And I don't have the money like you do, so you should sleep at night. Easier to sit here and complain. But you know what? Um, that's the joy of public service. That's it's serving. It's serving it's folks. It's it's serving it's folks. Yeah, it's serving. I mean, he's having such a loose cannon. He's yelling it. at people till the very end. Well, what's really funny is that uh, <laughs> when he was more popular as governor for a while, like three years ago, Chris Christie's staff used to put up videos on his official page of him yelling at people. I remember that. They loved it. They thought it was great. And then when he started running for president, they were like, oh, maybe this is a bad look. And as, <laughs> as his approval rating slipped lower and lower, and he had more and more sort of ethics concerns, they stopped doing that. But he can't stop doing it. Chris Christie will be yelling random gibberish at people in parking lots forever. It's time to talk about Rand Paul. Finally. The only reason I came here is to talk about Rand Paul. There's this... Okay, so I don't know if you guys are paying attention to the Rand Paul story as closely as we are. I don't know why... Everybody in media is, is obsessed with this story. Everybody in the world is because obsessed with this story because it's so story. weird. And it's chock full of mystery. And it has nothing to do with anything that's happening in the country, Ellie. which is great. Rand Paul is in a fight with <laughs> his neighbor. So Rand Paul was violently attacked by his neighbor of 17 years, another doctor 
in his uh, gated community. He was tackled from behind. He broke six ribs. I mean, it's very serious. We're not laughing at the injuries, which are very serious. The violence aspect is not funny, but it doesn't make... (laughs) Anna just did a funny... Hand motion. I am um, certainly not laughing. <laughs> we would never laugh at the pain of others. I would never, no. ever. <laughs> Broken this ribs. This is shrouded in mystery, Our which terrible. is which we love. We love a good we mystery. Love mystery. Basically, he was violently tackled by his neighbor Renee Boucher, um, who was an anesthesiologist. And um, this is his 15 minutes of fame. I love it. Yeah. What a thing to be known Absolutely. for. What, what a Boucher. thing to be known for. So. Basically, Rand Paul's people came out with an initial statement that was weirdly subdued because his injuries are pretty significant and like could have been deadly if they had because he broke so many ribs. Um, and he also has Didn't like, they, like poke his lungs. Yeah, he has yeah. a buildup of fluid around his lungs. Ah. It's like it's very serious. And <laughs> this think the, how hard you have to like attack someone to cause that. It's right. Hard. So he, he announces this incident. His his spokesperson says basically Rand was attacked by his neighbor. But he's, he's fine. But he's fine. That's what they said. And then reports start circulating that the attack was over a landscaping disagreement, some issue with lawn trimmings, some kind of flora dispute. Honestly, I totally understand this. Uh, yeah, a neighbor and the developer of their gated community said, quote, this has been festering for years, which is also hilarious. And then, other, But then this has gotten more mysterious because other neighbors have been like, no, they haven't talked in a long time, like, Rand is a great neighbor, da-da-da. Other reports say that he was not a great neighbor, and I'm sort of more prone to believing those just because Rand Paul is, like, professionally difficult. That is his entire career. He literally led an eye doctor's rebellion because he was mad at the board of ophthalmology. So he he tried to create his own board. So he's technically certified by himself. Like, he is just a very... he, He is a an incredibly cantankerous person. And one of his neighbors said that he has a different understanding of property rights <laughs> than mm. most people. Sure. So he's, you know, he's a libertarian, a cranky libertarian. Who knows? And apparently lawn disputes do happen. It sounds crazy to me personally. Yes, it does. But it, it, <laughs> I, know, I, I do have an email from a source that is just a source. And I don't, I can't say that this is, totally accurate but he's a guy who's from Bowling Green and he was in Bowling Green that weekend and he has friends that live in the neighborhood and he said 100% two white dudes fighting over their yards in an overpriced neighborhood (laughs) Rand has a habit of when home mowing at 5 a.m. multiple complaints have been lodged from neighbors about this there was also an incident between these two about a pumpkin patch planted on property that while that (laughs) that caused wild growth problems (laughs) so I don't take that with a grain of salt just from a guy. Mowing your lawn at 5 a.m. is absolutely so sociopathic. Rude. Yeah. That is a fucking insane thing but to do. This allegedly. 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 <laughs> this th- what this guy said does sort of square with what other neighbors have said. So then Ellie's about to get in a van and drive down <laughs> to Kentucky. I'm I mean, it's my home state and I will I will get down there if I think that there's <laughs> something that needs to be figured out. First of all, the pumpkin thing is reminding me that this was a plot point on Stranger Things, so it may be even bigger than these two white men. But wait, there's more, right? <laughs> there is yeah, more. There is more. So, also, don't forget, this man's a Democrat. This is an Oh, yeah, player. Renee is a Democrat. Yes, he has put social media posts up about how he doesn't agree with the Republican, is it tax plan? What is it? Healthcare. Healthcare. And he also has a done a lot of like anti-Trump stuff. And Rand Paul is very cozy with Donald Trump. Um, so, But this is circumstantial. Go on, right. Ellie. So Rand then tweets out conservative media articles from Breitbart and another outlet. The Washington Examiner. Yeah, the Washington mm-hmm. Examiner questioning the landscaping disagreement premise that basically both imply that this was a political attack, that this was a person that was attacking him for, him for political reasons. Just when we thought we had this figured out. Just when we – I mean, Kelly – the truth is a funny thing. <laughs> oh, something else to know, first of all. when we, we need to go back for a minute. When this first happened, three Republican Party sources told the New York Times that Rand was embarrassed by the incident and didn't want to make a big deal out of it. So I think we should keep that in mind. Uh, Renee Boucher's lawyer said that it was like 
incredibly trivial and sort of like implied that they were that it was like an embarrassing, you know, overreaction situation. I think he called it regrettable. Regrettable. Yeah. yeah. So fast forward back to the rant tweeting conservative media articles. Then Renee Boucher pleads not guilty despite not denying the assault. He's also been charged with a misdemeanor, which is weird because of the extent of the injuries. Yeah, it's not like he punched this guy in the face. No. He I like thinking about what it takes to break 25% of his ribs. That's a heck of ribs. Yeah, no, that's that's too many. This is all making me very Right, so, but, so he pleaded not guilty to a misdemeanor. And, and there is, like, police have said there's a possibility that the charges will be upgraded because of the extent of the in- injuries. But it's just everybody's being very coy about what seems to be, like, there seems to be, like, an easy answer. Why did this guy just, like, fucking tackle Rand Paul while he was on his riding lawnmower? <laughs> and... Nobody's answered that, answering that question either because – and it, it seems to be because the answer to that question is embarrassing. Honestly. To someone. Yeah. My, fir- my first thought was that someone was having an affair with someone else. That was absolutely my first thought too. I think that's that's most people's first thought though. Renee Boucher lives alone. Right. How do you get so into your land? Right. I mean if Renee Boucher lives alone, presumably that leaves a lot of room for Rand Paul's wife – anywhere in his house but um, <laughs> actually upon thinking about this yikes these are just theories <laughs> these are just theories They're just no 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 theories. but upon thinking about this if it is true that Rand Paul has been mowing his lawn at 5 o'clock in the morning every day for god knows how long you also don't need to mow a lawn every day you don't need to mow a lawn every day so if he's been know, doing that when he's home multiple times at 5am while letting his wild pumpkins you know grow all over Renee's shit then I suppose I can see a situation where perhaps a not entirely stable man and sooner or later snaps and, you know, takes a flying leap at your lawnmower. Yeah, and I do think that we do not live in the world of wealthy, semi-retired doctors living in gated communities. Please speak for yourself. I am all of those things. I've never been (laughs) a wealthy man doctor living in a gated community with a lawn. You have lived in Kentucky, though. I have, but... I'm not, you know, a 60-year-old man. So I don't know what kind of, like, aggressions are there, what kind of, like... I do think that this is a thing that does happen. I think it's a thing that happens more often than you would think. Like, neighbors getting into fights over, like, very stupid shit because they don't have anything better to think about. I mean, this is a Coen Brothers movie, essentially. I'm really looking forward to it. Another important thing to note, maybe, is that they, these two men, once worked in the same hospital many years ago. Oh. Doctors can be bitchy. Yeah. I love that. So also, they have a history. And yeah, it's just that everybody's saying different things. All, they, different neighbors are saying different things about the relationship between these two men. Either they haven't spoken like in years or they have a, like an ongoing dispute or and it, Rand Paul is a great neighbor. Rand Paul is a terrible neighbor. Um, it's just all very... Do we know what time the attack happened? I don't think we do. Maybe it happened at 5 a.m. I was just looking. Um, <laughs> that I know feels that like a relevant It nugget. does. Absolutely. I, for one, will continue following this story with an inappropriate level of investment. Yeah. I mean, I think Same. that this is the story America needed. This is the story yeah. of the summer. Yeah. <laughs> story of the summer. At the same time. Um, <laughs> sucks to break all your ribs. Like, or it does. Yeah, sure. And I think we should all reiterate that n- like, no matter how cranky and terrible Rand Paul is, nothing justifies violence. But even it's, mowing your lawn at 5 a.m. Even mowing your lawn at 5 a.m. But it's very mysterious. Could they have been lovers? Should I this be a lover's theory. quarrel? I love that theory. I think there, Isn't that sweet? One, there was a line. Well, yeah. I don't know. I think that Renee Boucher seems to be kind of a town eccentric. I don't know that they were lovers, but let's just keep that in our pockets as one of the many, many infinite possibilities. I don't know what Renee Boucher looks like, but I can picture it. And like, no, he's lived alone for a while. They both have the same. Oh, they got to know each other at work. It started contentious. He was mowing his lawn at 5 a.m. and he came out. Hey, what are you doing? Oh, nothing. (laughs) Music plays. The sun rises on a new day. A new day is dawning in the life of Rand Paul. Oh, he's starting to discover things. Uh-oh. Word's getting out. I have a loving wife and a political career. I can't let this go any further. Sir, I have to break it off. You can't. It'll break my heart. 
Get off your lawnmower. Don't tell me what to get off. <laughs> Boom. Oh, no. Bam. He's on the ground. I don't deny it. There's a crime of passion. <laughs> that was the worst thing you've ever done Yeah. To me. That was terrible. Well, I hated I'm it. I'm just saying. <laughs> Email us if you know anything about Rand Paul. And in the anything meantime, at look for Kelly's 10-part fan fiction series about <laughs> Rand Paul. <and> <laughs> on Jezebel.com. Jezebel.com. Slash fanfic. <laughs> Backslash Titanic. <laughs> it was harrowing. Now every week on our show, we take a minute to discuss the ways we're coping with such a relentlessly stressful administration uh, with a segment we lovingly call How to Handle the Dicks. How are we handling the dicks this week, ladies? Actually, pretty freaking well. Tell us about it. (laughs) I um, have started doing improv. I am really bad at it, but... Everyone's so nice. I just this got... is Ellie's second take of this because she felt she wasn't funny on the first. <laughs> okay, that was you know, we didn't need to share that. <laughs> Clearly, I've taken some really um, big lessons from my improv class. I'm handling the dicks by <laughs> bullying Ellie relentlessly. <laughs> I love it. Um, so yeah, so I everybody's so nice in improv. Improv is the most warm little community you'll ever find it's also like a very cliche thing for somebody in their 20s in new york city to be doing but that is not what i hear about improv i hear that it's like a bitchy community full of backstabbers well i go i go to the like i go to not ucb like the less stressful one where like there's one improv place where everybody's like trying to be a comedian i'm gonna get famous i'm gonna be an snl writer and then the one i'm at is like people that are nervous with public speaking (laughs) so um no shade to the improv community by the way i did once take an improv class myself and i really enjoyed it so i'm not trying to shade anybody no yeah so it's great i mean everybody like compliments me on my bangs Hmm. and it's just it's like a very nice thing and it's like learning how to speak and not judge yourself and learning how to listen to people which sometimes I don't do very well and it's it's great it's like a good wait also it's interesting I it's like a full three hours of not looking at any screen which mm-hmm. is weird to think about that being like a big <clears throat> deal but I actually spend so much of my life like clutching a device <laughs> so it's nice to not wow. be doing that same same that really same. made me think yeah guys yeah. happy to help well, sooner Maybe or later, we should take improv. Uh, that sounds horrible, but you know, sooner or later, the devices will just yes, be implanted. Yes, it does in. sound horrible. <laughs> yes, and, and. <laughs> we don't need improv. No, clearly not. Kelly, how are you handling the dicks? I didn't really prepare anything for this segment. I'm mm. sorry to report, but I guess I've been handling the dicks by drinking wine. Mm. Uh, I had a, a nice Pinot Grige. Uh, a nice Sauvignon. I'm Blanc. a red wine girl. Oh. You must know, but. I wouldn't say no to a Pinot Grige. Um, I had some friends. Shout out to Emma and Alex. Uh, babysit my dog a few weekends ago, and we bought them. My husband and I bought them all this wine, and then they barely drank any of it. So now we just have this all this wine in our house. Wow! And it's been so cold. I don't really want to go outside. So we've just been going on a a, a tasty tour of the vintners of the world. Sounds great. <laughs> and it has been great. In moderation, we've been enjoying responsibly, <laughs> and that is how I've been handling the dicks. That's it's kind of lame, but it's the no, truth. but it's no. also that's real. I've, I mean, who hasn't been handling the dicks with a little bit of wine? You know, <laughs> Anna, how are you handling the dicks? Um, the best way that I can recommend handling dicks is to go on book leave for three months and have a choice about when you have to look at anything having to do with the dicks, or maybe to go upstate. For a prolonged period of time where the only internet access was at this one specific spot on a picnic table. That's so in right now. I feel like everyone in my social media feeds <laughs> is writing a book upstate. Yeah, it was <laughs> so uh, it was pretty great. I, I pretty much spent a lot of my time running from spiders and sleeping in a, a cabin loft situation. Uh, since I came back and have to 
pay attention. No, we don't want to hear about being back. We want to go back upstate. <laughs> being being back is, oh, Did upstate. you wear plaid? Did you commune with, do you feel more like in touch with nature? No and no. And what's funny <laughs> about burning me? stove, yes or no? Uh, yes, but I didn't know how to use it. Anna, what the hell? And it was still summer at the time, so I didn't have to. Uh, one thing, fun thing about upstate was that I dressed exactly the way that I do in the city. Uh, so I was wandering around this very small upstate town you know, wearing dressed. all pink like you do every day. <laughs> dressed, dressed like a slutty cat burglar. Bright, just joyful colors. <laughs> As I do. I will say, though, in all seriousness, since Anna I've Anna wears back, all black every day. I've never I seen her not wear black freaking in my great. Life. Stylish as hell. It's true. She does look great. So true. Wow. Thanks, guys. I feel validated. Um, The one thing that I will say that I have been doing is I no longer listen to news in the morning while I'm getting ready because we look at it all day. We spend the entire day staring into a swirling abyss of horror. And so in the morning, I listen to music. And, you know, I do my eyeliner. And if I have extra time, like, I, uh, you know, watch an old episode of The Simpsons or something. Because yeah, there's no there's no reason to look at the news. Like, unless there I'm not is... absorbing it. It's going in one <laughs> ear and coming out the other. So why bother? Exactly. I mean, unless there is an emergency happening first thing in the morning, which granted is often true there's no need just give yourself an hour in the morning to not think about it just don't think about it read your horoscope like why not what counts as an emergency like does it count as an emergency if donald trump is like i tried to be friends with kim (laughs) jong-un the funny thing is that like that would have been an emergency under any like normal circumstance but no i rock obama tweeting that (laughs) yeah i would say that at this point nothing he tweets is an emergency unless a his Twitter Twitter gets hacked or b his tweet is like the That's nuclear not war an emergency commences his at two Twitter PM. gets hacked. Can you imagine? I think about this all the time. What would happen if his Twitter gets? hacked? What would happen, Anna? What if what his if Twitter somebody got... hacked his Twitter and used it to declare war on another country? Okay, what true. if someone First hacked all, his Twitter? You can't do that. You have to have Congress along for the ride. It would, at the very least, create an incredible amount of confusion. Call and me panic. when Congress's Twitter gets hacked. <laughs> That's wake me. I feel then. Like that's happened. <laughs> no. Anyway, well, Trump's Twitter got suspended. Right, which was amazing. For how long? Eleven, by, by eleven rogue, minutes. Yeah. A rogue employee on their last day. Great person. It was incredible. That is incredible. Okay, so you're just no news in the morning. No great news. rule. No I news. think that's a good rule too. You I wait until I get on the subway. And then, yeah, and I do when I'm no on the subway, I'll look bed. at the Oh yeah, that's that's a good plan. No screens before bed. Yeah, you got to give yourself like yeah, a hot minute. Perfect. Reading a reading a real. Thing. You have to treat yourself like you're an infant whose soft, malleable brain spot will be damaged by looking at too many screens. Thank you so much for listening to Big Time Dicks. This show is produced by Levi Sharp. Mondana Mofidi is our executive director of audio. We featured music by Stuart Wood and Aaron Leader. The episode was mixed by Dan Powell. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts so other people can find the show. You can also find us on Panoply, NPR One, and wherever you get your podcasts. Got a big time dick you want to tell us about? Send a voice note or email to bigtimedicks at jezebel.com. Or tweet at Jezebel using the hashtag bigtimedicks. We'll see you next Tuesday. Who knows what the world will look like then? 